0: Wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And we are continuing through our summer of connection. We are looking at the life of King David, learning all kinds of lessons from what it is that he did right, some of the things maybe that he did wrong we'll talk about today. Um, I, I do want to let you know I love you overlay. It's just been so fun this summer to be all together as a church family. It's been fun to do these parties in the park. I was with Woodenville last night over at Cottage Lake uh, Park. And we had a great barbecue and fun time. There's still a few of those left, so please check your handout and see the times for those and make sure we continue to, to just really hit the gas pedal on Summer of Connection because it's just a, a few weeks away, and then we're going to go back to the, our regular kind of a setup and our fall season and all that stuff, so just real excited about all that. Today, I want to talk about an episode in King David's life, and it's probably, maybe not the most famous, but at least in the top two most famous episodes in his life. Most people, even people who don't know about the Bible or about church, know the name Goliath. They know when David fought Goliath. And most people, even people who don't go to church or know much about the Bible, know the name Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba. And that's what we're talking about today, and the title is Tempted, David Was Tempted, and just like we are. So, we experience temptation as well. So, let's take a look at what we can learn from this episode. But I'll start a little story. When I was 13 years old, my brother and I had just moved into a new neighborhood, a new, a new part of the world. And so, we were kind of exploring the woods out by our house, and we came across a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. 13 years old. Now, we knew we would get totally busted if we smoked these cigarettes, and we debated briefly, and then we went big. We smoked the whole pack. (laughs) Oh, it was lovely. And we went home after that, and we decided, well, we need to clean up ourselves, and so we brushed our teeth, and we gargled with mouthwash, and, and that didn't seem to quite take care of the smell. And, and just so you know, I want to tell you this really, really clearly, I am not one of those ultra-judgmental pastors. I don't believe that if you smoke, you go to hell. Now, you will smell like you've been there, but it's a different issue. And so we were trying to get rid of the smell on us. And, and so we, we gargled and we brushed and nothing was working. So then we got out my dad's cologne and we started spraying it around and that didn't work. So I took the top off and we like dabbed it all over ourselves. And basically we created like a, a Jedi cologne shield around us. And my brother and I walked into the kitchen. My mom was at the, the stove or the sink or something, and her eyes immediately began to water. And the first words out of her mouth, no kidding, you boys been smoking. <laughs> busted, right? Immediately busted. And it was so funny that we got busted after all these attempts to try to cover up. And 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 the thing is, you know, we, we sort of know what that's like. We know what it's like to, to make a mistake or to jump into sin and then to try to cover up that sin and maybe then have to lie because the cover up didn't quite work the way we thought it would work. And so, you know, just this idea of being like King David. And, and, and so we're talking about temptation and we're going to look at, how he he did not do some things right. And we're going to talk about some things we can do right. And then at the end, we'll talk about some things he did right. And we'll learn sort of in the positive. These are things that we also can do like King David. But as we begin, you know, we'll talk about temptation. Oscar Wilde once said, I can resist anything but temptation, and that's how many of us feel, right? And, and you and I experience temptation just like we've seen it as kids in cartoons, right? There's, there's a little devil on one shoulder whispering in our ear, do it, do it, go ahead, do it. And you got a little angel on the other side saying, my child, turn your eyes to the light and do not do. And, and, and so there's this, this pressure. And, and even as I bring up temptation, I just want you to know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about temptation because we all know what that's like. And it's, and it's individual and it's unique. It might not be the same for you as it is for me, but, but there is something in your life. There is something that's really, really tempting to you. And, and, and temptation can come in all different kinds of forms. It can come in some random ways. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of guys, and this is an experience that when we're walking down the street and we see like an armored bank car, immediately temptation is one of those thoughts like, you know what, I could probably fast and furious heist that thing. It's just temptation, it comes, or you meet, you know, your girlfriend's new chihuahua and you pretend to be all impressed, but really, temptation is, how far could I punt this thing? <laughs> just, just a little temptation that, that comes, and, and, and we all sort of know what that's like, and And whether you're facing temptation right now or whether you've blown it a million times, my prayer for all of us is that we would be able to move from failure to forgiveness, that we could step into the grace that God wants and to receive the strength that he has for us when we're facing temptation in the first place. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is before you stumble, there are some things that we can do. We can first begin by eliminating boredom from our lives eliminating large swaths of unaccountable time. Uh, it, it might seem like a weird place to start, but it's true. That if we take care of boredom, of, of laziness, of lounging, of looking for trouble time, then we're off to a great start. Let's take a look at what was the reality in David's life. Second Samuel 11, we'll be in 11 and 12 if you want to follow along in your Bibles. It says in the spring, at the time kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So, so look at that verse for a second. What is it that kings do typically at this time? When kings go off to war, right? That's that's what's typical in this time, in this season. David should be out with his men. Now, I'm not recommending that fighting is a cure for boredom. You know, mom, I'm bored. I'm going to go fight club for a while. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about David running the country, leading his men well. He should have been out with his army. By the way, culturally, one of the reasons springtime is the time when kings go off to war, it's because of the spring harvest. So there's ample food for men and for horses, etc. But instead, Joab is out leading the army, the general, and David's left behind in Jerusalem. So I think he was a little bit lazy, maybe unmotivated. And this is where we can get from time to time as well. Sometimes it's easier to be lazy than it is to be diligent. But here is the reality that idle hands itch for trouble, and that's what David found. I know that I've seen this to be true in my own life as well, that when I'm bored, when I've got all kinds of free, unaccountable time, and I don't really know what to do with it, that's when temptation strikes. And so the bottom line is this, we need to fight the battles that God intends for us to fight in order to spare us from the battles that God never intends for us to fight. And so choose the right battle, right? Embrace the the thing that God has given you in terms of your purpose or your calling or, or what good diligent work ethic looks like. Pursue that because these unaccountable boredom times, that's when trouble comes. The next verse, verse two. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. Think about that for a moment. He's already gone to bed Now he's getting up from his bed in the night. Friends, what kind of good stuff happens in the middle of the night? Not a whole lot, right? If you're looking for trouble, typically that's when you go looking for trouble. I used to be a college pastor, and I remember talking to the the guys, especially in the college ministry, and and, uh, they'd be talking, oh, man, I'm so tired today, Pastor Mike. Well, what were you doing? Oh, I was up all night on the internet. Yeah, no temptation there. Right? Or, or you talk to, yeah, well, we were just out, me and my buddies were just out cruising around till like 2, 3 a.m. Listen, what kind of good things happen cruising around at 2, 3 a.m.? No kinds of good things, right? That's when all kinds of craziness happens. Um, there's a, a, a one of the lines on my ordination plaque says, Sometimes the holiest thing a Christian can do is go to sleep. <laughs> It's just a beautiful thing, right? And, and the scripture actually says this, Romans 13, 12, So let us put aside the deeds of what? Of darkness. Let us behave decently as in the what? Daytime, right? So there's just this little reality that happens that, that God wants us to work hard. He wants us to put in full days of purpose in life during the day and then sleep well with, with clear consciences in the evening. David did not choose to do that. He didn't eliminate boredom. He's lounging around. He's getting up out of bed, looking for trouble, and he found it. Here's the next fill-in. The next thing we do to beat the, the temptation is examine the consequences, examine the consequences of where the road goes. And this is what we read in verses two through five. It says, From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. All right, this is a little steamy for the Bible. Some of you didn't realize that the Bible actually contained things like this, and, and so you're you're awake. Uh, you didn't realize that it'd be this, you know, hot. And this is uh, this is about the wife of Uriah. Uriah is uh, somebody who actually he's a Hittite, but he converted to Judaism. And he, when he converted to Judaism, he began to worship the one true God. He changed his name to Uriah. And incidentally, Uriah means the Lord is my light. So this is a good guy. And he is one of David's royal guard. Right. So th- this is a man who's not only pursuing loyalty to God Most High but he's committed his life and loyalty to the king he serves. David apparently doesn't care about those things. He sends for Bathsheba, and they have some intimate time together. They use what's called the natural method of birth control. Uh, do you know what couples who use the natural method of birth control are called? Parents, that's right. So, so you can just imagine the scenario. David, he, he's bored. He's got all this unaccountable time. He can't sleep, or he gets up after his sleep. He's walking around the roof. He's looking. He sees this woman. His eyes kind of bulge out of his head. He's like, oh, my goodness. He says, who is that woman? That is one fine-looking Jew. And the man says, uh, actually, sir, she's a Hittite. And, 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 uh, and so David, it, he, he's making all of these bad decisions because why? He's not looking at the consequences. He doesn't see where this road is going to lead, right? He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't even process that this road has a, a trajectory associated to it. And, and I just want to say this really clearly, that God is ready and willing to forgive you for anything that you've ever done wrong. But that doesn't mean that he'll necessarily remove the consequences. In fact, so often the opposite is true. And for David and Bathsheba, the results of their actions were pregnancy and fear and pain. And it actually goes on and on. And, and their hearts were breaking. And it was because of their decisions that they've made decisions they made without taking a look at what the consequences would be. And the Bible talks really clearly about this in Galatians 6. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to flee please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage. And basically, you might want to think about it in terms of, this is just spiritual karma right here. This is just how it happens, that, that when you sow something, you will inevitably reap it. It's like a universal law of the universe. And so we need to look at the consequences. What happens when I say yes to this? What happens when I pursue this pathway? What's the effect of saying yes to to this temptation, right? We think about where the road leads, and the road that David chose to walk leads to, this verse says, to destruction. And there is destruction that we'll read about here. In fact, that leads to the next fill-in. We need to imagine the people who will be hurt. Imagine the people who will be hurt by us saying yes to this pathway, this temptation. So we continue to read in verses 6 through 17. I'm just going to summarize this. Bathsheba is pregnant. Uriah is on the front lines fighting for King David. So David thinks, I'm going to bring Uriah back home. I'm going to have him come home on leave. He's going to go spend some time with Bathsheba. Everyone will think that this child is Uriah's child, and everything will be covered up. Done. So he brings Uriah home, and he sends Uriah back to Bathsheba, but Uriah refuses to go sleep with his wife. He actually stays with the palace guards. And Uriah's, uh, his reasoning is this. He says, you know what, Joab and all of my fighting brothers are out on the front line sleeping in tents, and if I come home and I go and I spend time with my wife and I sleep in my, my you know, mattress and, and all the softness of home, my character's going to take a hit. He says, I can't do that, and so, so he stays with the other guards. And David, I think, you know, in Hebrew, swears just a little bit in that moment. Right? His plan's not going to work, so he tries again the next night. Some of you already know the story. He gets Uriah drunk. Apparently, kings have really good bartenders, mixologists, and, and he gets Uriah drunk, and then tries to send him home. And uh, you know, David's saying, "Go to your home. Are you too good for your home? Like you know, that's where you're supposed to be." And and again, Uriah says, "No, I'm, I'm not going to go home." And And so David has one more thought in order to clean this scenario up. He writes a letter to Joab, the general, seals it, and then asks Uriah to deliver it to Joab. And in this letter, David tells his general, I want you to put Uriah where the fighting is the fiercest. And then I want you to give a command and have everyone withdraw except for Uriah so that Uriah will be killed. And so Uriah takes his own death sentence to Joab and delivers it, and that's exactly what happens. So I want you to think about what's, what's taken place. We, we've had adultery, pregnancy, deception, and now murder. David never thought that this was the trajectory that his choices would take him. He did not look at the consequences. He did not imagine the people who were going to be hurt. And, and, and many of you know this, that God in the Old Testament, he gives 10 really big and significant commandments for all of his people to follow. And these are really, they're, they're commandments that if they follow them, will lead to life and prosperity and abundance. But if they choose not to follow them, will lead, as the passage said earlier, will lead to destruction. That's what will be harvested. Well, let me tell you which commandments David breaks in this episode. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment nine, you shall not give false testimony. Commandment ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That's four out of ten. That's a failing grade in morality 101 right there. David is the king, he's supposed to be the upholder of the law of God in the land, and he has just committed, you know, breaking four of these ten, and right now it's so easy to judge David, it's so easy to say, oh, how stupid could he be, how inconsistent could he be, right? He's known as the man after God's own heart, and yet this is such stupidity, it's such inconsistency. But before we judge him, just remember that people in general are stupid and inconsistent. And this is true probably for most of us in this room. I'm not going to say it's true of you, but for sure it's true of me. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. On Monday, I just heard that we are all aware of how smoky the air has been because of the wildfires up in Canada, British Columbia. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but they had actually evacuated so many people from their homes up in British Columbia because of the danger of fire. So dry and brittle, the fires were unpredictable, moving all over, and so they evacuated a bunch of people. But on Monday, they actually invited a bunch of people to move back into their homes. And one guy was so ecstatic that he was able to move back into his home that he celebrated by lighting off a bunch of fireworks that night. (laughs) Yeah, that's stupid. (laughs) How about this, you ever start a workout program, you think, oh my gosh, this is it, I'm going to get in on it. You jump in, your very first workout, 20 minutes, you sweat a little bit, you decide to congratulate yourself with cheesecake. That's inconsistent, right? stupid, inconsistent. This is just where we are. So I don't want to tell this story about David so that we judge David. I want to tell the story about David so that we learn from David, so that we don't choose to make some of the same choices that David made. Because if the story ends here, it's a really, really negative story, right? This is a bad story, a story that, that leaves no legacy here. And fortunately. God doesn't let the story end here. And, and that's also true for your life and for my life as well. If you want to fill in the next fill-in, it's lean on God for the strength to overcome. That we lean on God for the strength to overcome temptation. It says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You might want to underline that last phrase, it displeased the Lord. See, they, they had apparently gotten away with it, right, that, that now Bathsheba is going to come into David's life, and she's going to be uh, his wife now, and, and so it's sort of, they, they smoothed over the indiscretion, but this displeased the Lord. God doesn't want us living like that. He doesn't want us making these kinds of choices of deception and trying to cover over our our mistakes. And and he wants us to to live this much more abundant, much more whole and free life. And and so let me give you some good news. This is the best news of all when you or I face temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. This is such good news. See, this is, gives us such freedom. It gives us such empowerment when we face temptation. And I know sometimes we push back on God when we're in the middle of a really tempting, where we're fighting temptation really hard. We might say, but God, nobody knows how hard this is to resist. And God says, Jesus does. The Bible tells us that that Jesus faced every temptation known to man, and yet he was able to stand up. He was able to resist. So he knows exactly how it is to fight that temptation. And we might, might argue again, we say, but God, nobody experiences temptation like I do. Nobody experiences the desire to sin in this regard like I experience. And he says, actually, that's not true either. The temptation you face, it's, it's common to humanity, right? The way in which we experience temptation, it's common to humanity. We all experience temptation in the same way. Now, it might not be that we're tempted for the same sin. But the temptation to sin is common for all of us. And and so this is the good news. The good news is that God says, I will show you a way out. I will be there with you. I will provide your escape hatch, right? That is the good news. And that's what we can stand up against and we can grab hold of, of that truth. Now, if you've already stumbled, here's what we can do. We can recognize the selfishness of our actions. And this is where we see this story really turn. We see it totally pivot. Because David begins to make choices now that are much more in tune with who he is. You see, David is known as the man after God's own heart. If the story ended right there, he would be known as the adulterer. He'd be known as the murderer. He'd be known as a really selfish, a really bad guy. But, but that's not where the story ends for David. It's not where the story ends for any of us as well. And so it begins by us recognizing the selfishness of our actions. And, and in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 9, what happens is that God says, it's time for us to deal with this David and Bathsheba situation. And so he sends the prophet, Nathan, to talk to David about it. Now, Nathan is a really sharp guy. He knows that if he jo- just goes in and he confronts David, that David, if David's in a bad mood, if David's in a, uh, just a, silly, a really selfish place, you know, Nathan could be the next guy to, to go the way of Uriah. And so he has to be really, really careful here. And so Nathan goes in and he begins to tell David a story It's amazing how story just kind of hooks David in, and Nathan says, hey David, I want you to recognize that there's these two guys, they live next door to each other, and one is a wealthy, wealthy man. He's got everything that he wants, he's got all kinds of herds, he's got all all kinds of fields that he can harvest, and and he's just, he's an incredibly wealthy guy, and and right next door, there's a really humble, honest guy that lives, And, and he doesn't own anything, all he has is one little lamb, and David, you know, he's a shepherd, he's like, oh, what's his name, Snuggles, oh, I like, you know, I like lambs, and... And and so Nathan said, hey "Man, this guy loves this lamb." And so he raises this lamb like a little kid. He he lets the lamb eat from his table. He lets the lamb sleep in his bedroom, you know, right next to the fireplace. Like like this lamb, he he teaches this lamb how to do a little gardening, how to flush the toilet. Like he's written, he's written this lamb into his will. You know, it, basically what he's saying is is this lamb, this guy feels like like like. Couples feel about their dogs before they have kids, right? Like, like he's that crazy about this lamb. And, and David's like, oh man, I love this story, right? And then Nathan says, well, one day the wealthy guy has some guests that arrive and he wants to serve them mutton. But instead of taking one of the, the sheep from his own flocks, he, he goes over and he steals the lamb from his neighbor. And he serves that to his guests. And David's furious. He's like, that guy deserves to die, he says. Oh, that guy has to pay back four times what he stole. I can't believe guys like that live in my kingdom. And then Nathan says, you are that guy. That is who you are. And that's the scripture that he says, David, then David, Nathan said to David, you are that man. And he goes on to say, God has given you so much. God has given you so much, and he would have given you so much more. Why did you despise God by doing this thing that he hates? Wow. You know, I, I, I think everybody needs a Nathan. Everybody needs somebody who loves us, but who's not impressed with us. Everybody needs somebody who loves us, but is not afraid to say a hard truth to us, and and David was blinded by his own selfishness. And there's a couple of ways that we can keep from being blinded by selfishness. Number one is we have to continue to have a teachable spirit. Right? We have to pursue a teachable spirit before the Lord that we want to learn. We want to be those people who are learning and who are growing throughout the whole trajectory of our lives. Right? That teachable spirit. And number two, we need to have people in our lives that will hold us accountable. People who will tell us the truth. And David had both of these in Nathan. And for him, it was the start of things going right. You know, I want to be really honest with you. I, I can't hold anyone accountable by doing a message on accountability. But every single one of us can choose to have somebody like a Nathan in our life. We all can pursue accountability. And one of the things that you probably already know if you've been around Overlake in any length of time is that we're kicking off our our groups next month. So just about a month from now, we'll kick off our groups and... We've got all different kinds of groups meeting all over the east side in Seattle for all different purposes, but we would love to have you jump in. I know for many of you during this Summer of Connection, you've met a friend or two people that you did not know were in your neighborhood, people you did not know were connected at Overlake. And so my prayer is that you would choose just to get together, maybe begin a group so that this could be something that you pursue, this idea of being teachable, being humble. All of us need encouragement. All of us need support because anybody can end up where David has ended up right David was not a bad guy he did not have a bad heart but he did make some bad choices and none of us are above that so we need to pursue this kind of accountability we need to be willing to recognize where our selfishness leads this leads us to the next villain we need to repent and to turn from our sin right repent and turn away from your sin And so David says to Nathan in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. For David, he recognizes his failure. He's he's done trying to cover this sin up. He's done trying to hide it. And so he confesses to Nathan. He confesses to the Lord. He turns away from all of his attempts to cover and to hide the gross things about himself. And instead, he turns toward living a life that is genuine. We use the word authentic here, that we want to be authentically on the journey. We want to be authentically pursuing this. Remember, there is no shame in course correction. David makes a course correction, and that is called repentance. It just means to turn. You may ask, well, does repentance mean just being sorry? It does mean that, but with an addition, it means sorry with action. Sorry with action. That's what repentance means. It's a turn of direction. I'll give you an analogy. Um, this spring, we decided to clean out my garage at my house. Now, it was so gross that I seriously wondered if I had ever cleaned out my garage before in my life. I, it was as if we were auditioning for an episode of Hoarders. Like, it just was, it was astounding to me. And, and so it took you know, most of the morning and into the afternoon just to pull everything out. We just cleaned, we just moved everything out, kind of spread it all out on the garage or on the driveway. So all of the bikes and all the camping gear and just all, all of this stuff. And, and then we threw a bunch of stuff away, stuff that didn't function anymore, stuff that we didn't need anymore. We, we did two or three trips down to Value Village. I, I had five cans, trash cans of stuff that we just threw away. And then we moved the the stuff we wanted to keep back into the garage. Oh, before that, I fired up my leaf blower and I blew out all of the cobwebs and the dust. That was my favorite part of the whole day. Moved stuff back in. We had enough room to to set up a little gym uh, weight set for my kids, put another little computer assembly station together. Uh, I told my wife afterwards, the garage looks so good. I want to sleep out there now. It just, it just was beautiful, and, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because I want you to think about your heart for a moment in your life. I want you to think that, you know, my gut tells me that some of us here, were feeling a little bit like David, like, yeah, we, we actually, we've made bad choices, and, and we've been tempted with big, meaty, juicy sins, and, and, and we bit, we, we, we dove into it. And so, yeah, we've got got real grossness. And the whole time I'm talking about temptation, maybe you're here and your heart's just pounding in your chest. You just feel like God's hammering on you today. I also have a feeling that many of us, we, we don't have, you know, big skeletons, but our hearts maybe are just a little bit like a junked up garage. It just gets accumulated with stuff. Maybe it's just stuff that you wouldn't say. Oh, that's not like those big, you know, commandment-breaking sins. But yeah, I've got a hardness of heart about this. Or yeah, I, I, I've subtly begun to harbor disrespect towards my spouse, and it's accumulated over time. Or yeah, there's been an ungenerous spirit that I've just accumulated, and it's just, just kind of stacked up. and And you just kind of <clears throat> thing after thing after thing, and, and your heart just gets filled and. And, and, and wherever you find yourself this morning, I just want to tell you it's a perfect day to just ask the Lord to, to clean out your heart, right? That, that you would just have him pull these things out and, and, and confess them to him so that he can remove them from your heart and get rid of them. See, that's the amazing thing about God's grace is that he is here for us and that he will take care of us. John... 1 John 1 says this. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But look at this. If we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Friends, that's the good news. Right? That's living in grace, and, and that's what we, we want to end our time with today. If you're filling in the last blank, it's live in God's grace. <clears throat> Recognize your selfishness, repent and turn from your sin, and live in God's grace. 2 Samuel 12, 13, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You see, God's response to David's heart was forgiveness. He forgave this murdering adulterer. The greatest thing I know is that if God forgives David, what that means is that God forgives you and he forgives me as well, right? God's grace is big enough. It's comprehensive enough. It's powerful enough to forgive us no matter what, no matter what we've done, no matter what we strayed into, no matter how many times we strayed into it, God's grace is big enough so that we can live in it. We can be cleansed and purified from all unrighteousness. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Colossians 1.22. It says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Right? This is the work of Jesus on the cross. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Look at this. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Would you circle the words holy and blameless? You are holy and blameless as you stand before God. Without a single fault. You might say, Well, I I don't deserve God's grace. You're right. You don't, and neither do I. None of us do. That's why it's called grace. It's given in an undeserved and unreserved fashion. God gives it to us as a complete gift. It's not because of anything we've earned, but it's because of His character, His goodness, it's His love. That offers his grace to cover over all of our sin, right? Holy and blameless before the Lord without a single fault. And I want to say that, that there is freedom from shame today. That Jesus wants to take our guilt. He wants to take our shame. He wants to take all of our sin. And he wants to cleanse it and make us white as snow. No matter where you are, no matter what you struggle with, friends, this is the offer of grace that if you will recognize your selfishness, if you will turn and repent of your sin, you can receive the grace of Jesus Christ that cleanses and covers, that washes us white as snow. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Jesus, in so many ways, we want to say thank you for the example of David. We know that in this regard, David chooses to make a bad decision. He chooses n- not to think about the effects of his choice. He-, he doesn't look at the consequences. He doesn't think about the people that are going to be hurt. He-, he does not use your power to help him stand up against temptation. But instead, he-, he leaps into sin. And yet, right away, he recognizes that's not what he wanted. So he has to cover it up. And he ends up going further and further down a road he never thought he'd travel. Well, Lord, I know some of us maybe feel like we're in that position right now. Would you allow us to hear your gentle and loving voice that no matter what it is we've done, that you have grace for us. No matter how it is we've strayed, that your grace is there to cleanse us, to purify us. Even if we just look at our hearts and we see that it's full of things that we know aren't pleasing to you, would would you just clean out the mess, the debris of our heart today We want to experience your cleansing. We want to experience your forgiveness. And we want to experience your grace today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.